it's so uh, um, amazing what God does and who he is. Uh, this morning, I had the privilege of uh, preaching an ordination sermon for a uh, uh, Nepali pastor in, in uh, Rochester, and uh, was thinking about how, he's, how God has called uh, his people to, to tasks, to particular things, and, and how God had set this man apart to be, um, to be a pastor, to be a leader. Uh, he's planting a church. Uh, I only wish that some of our Anglo churches could do what he's already done. Uh, reached about 60 people for Christ in the past year. Um, and they've become, uh, almost two years I guess now, uh, and they're becoming a part of a church. Uh, that's the start of a church, all brand new believers. It's kind of exciting. And uh, you're a part of that, by the way. You, uh, you're actually a part of that mission taking place. It's the, the second church uh, that another Nepali church has planted. So that's three churches in Rochester, all uh, under, that, that you guys have been a major part of, uh, with more under the way. But I'm just so excited about that. I'm afraid I'm going to step on this. Um, but uh, today, we're going to go to the book of, of Colossians. And I really invite you to go right to that. Uh, Basically, the first part of my message is, is kind of my introduction. So um, even though I, you may have thought I already had an introduction, um, that, was just, that was just me getting used to the microphone. Uh, I'm, no, seriously, it was a very great time, and it actually speaks to where we're going today. Um, this doesn't tilt, does it? Kind of mess up your stand. I want to read Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. Um, we're picking up uh, in, in this, in really kind of the middle of a narrative here that, uh, that's, that's kind of moving to some, uh, maybe, if you will, practical aspects of, of, of uh, what Jesus, uh, I mean, what Paul is saying. Uh, I love the way Paul writes. He kind of gets that theological foundation down, and then he moves into some things that will help us live up to what he's laid out there. Uh, but there's theology all through it, so he just keeps on going. But let's look at verse 12 together. Beginning with verse 12, he says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. I just think it's amazing that, Mike, are you here? Oh, there you are back there. That, Mike, let me even begin to touch this passage. Um, verse 12, so, so that as, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you. So also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him, through Him, to God the Father. Father, we turn this time and turned this time over to you as we've worshipped. We've we've spent some time putting 
our, our, our lips to praise you. Father, right now, we pray that you set us aside, set this time aside for us to hear what you have to say to your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this subject of election, it comes up a lot in my life for some strange reason, but, uh, but election is, is for a purpose. Election is for the purpose of producing lives reflecting God's purpose. Now, we, I use the term election. We could use the term chosen, uh, kind of the same thing. It's, it's translated uh, either way. is fine. That's okay. But election is for the purpose of producing lives reflecting God's purpose. If you look at this passage just at the beginning, see, we cannot escape the idea of election in this passage. We, we have to address it. God has called us. He has chosen His people. And we need to understand, though, my concern is that we understand the purpose of election. And, uh, um, not, not, and not, not that we don't become overburdened by the term. I don't, that's not my concern. Uh, I don't really want us to, to focus on, on, the, on that term, so just forget all the things I've said a moment ago. A simple description of election is found in this passage. I, I love this. It says, first, uh, first of all, it says, those chosen are what? Holy. Those chosen are holy. Now, we just sang a song talking about the holiness of God. Why do we, we sing about the holiness of God and turn around and say that those who are chosen are holy? We've just put us on a plane that puts us up there in a, in using the same word as we use about God. That's scary. By the way, the guy we, we ordained today, his name is D-E-O. That's his, how you spell his first name. We had kind of an interesting conversation about his name in Latin being God. And uh, uh, one of the other pastors raised the question that if, if we're ordaining God, it's above my pay grade. You know, <laughs> we're not, I can't quite do that. So we, we're not that kind of holy, all right? But we are the kind of holy, those chosen are kind of holy, that are chosen, that is set apart for God's purpose. We are set apart to do what God has called us to do. Second, those who are chosen, are, it's interesting, are beloved. They're beloved. Now, that, those two words are, are very unique in terms of the calling, but those who are chosen, who are elect, are set apart for a purpose and are beloved. They are loved by God. They are unconditionally loved by God. There is nothing they did to earn or deserve that love. It is freely given. Freely given. I love that about God. Amen. You know, because I can't afford it. <laughs> yeah, that's why I love it. You know, I can't afford it. I'm so glad He did. Beginning in the Old Testament, the purpose of election seems to me to be kind of gradually revealed. Um, how, however, every time God chooses someone, they are called to represent God in a particular way. Every time. This even applies to the nation of Israel. You remember what the purpose of the nation of Israel was? To be a blessing to the nations, right? They were not just called to be God's people, but they were called to be God's people who were going to be a blessing to all nations. So even Israel was, was a, was, uh, had a specific calling or set up, being set apart for a specific purpose 
that was to bring uh, all nations to understand who God is. In the New Testament, we discover that the aim of election, the aim of election is love. Uh, love for one another, love for the lost, and ultimately, love for God. And obviously, we know from 1 John that you cannot love God and not love man. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard thing for some of us, you know, because God, it makes sense to love God. Sometimes it doesn't seem to make sense to us to love mankind. You know, man is messed up. God isn't. But th that is all in inclusive. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're not going to go there, but I just want you to understand this is where I got this from. 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 and 2, we discover that the goal of election, the goal of election is obedience. We were called to obey. We were chosen to obey Him. And that obedience can be described as, as a universal calling to proclaim the power, uh, powerful mercy of God as it is revealed in His choice of a people to represent Him. Isn't it amazing that He chose you to represent Him? Isn't that amazing? Why, my goodness, I'm looking at you and I'm like, why? That's all right. I don't have a mirror right now, so that's a good thing. I'd understand why he chose you and not quite understand me. That's, that's false humility. Don't worry about it. Okay? Um, however, you, however you interpret the origins of election, you need to understand God's plan for revealing himself through his chosen servants. You see, God's purpose is seen in attitudes and behaviors reflecting God's love. If we continue in verse 12 and on through verse 14, we can see the strange list. And it seems a seeming direct contrast with the list in last week's passage. Remember? Anger, wrath, malice, or, malice or wickedness, slander, and abusive and or uh, uh, obscene speech uh, are mentioned there. And, uh, uh, or obscene talk. Paul, Paul puts forth another list here. He, said in, he says in verse 12, anger, put away. What? Anger, wrath. I'm sorry, wrong one. Take on, put on. Uh, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So in verse 8, we are told to put them all aside. In essence, we're saying, take them off and put them away. And then in verse 12, we're told to put on. Uh, put on, uh, uh, put, put, put these things on like a garment, like a cloak, like something new. You know, I picture, um, I better not say that because I always get that wrong. Um, the, uh, don't worry about what I just thought. Uh, put them on like a garment. I, I told my wife I'm going to stick to my notes, but I'm not already. That's okay. Just gonna, we're not going to go too far. We, we, we have to see, you see, we have to see, acknowledge, And be convicted of our sin. But like, that, that, that's verse 8, okay? I get it, I get it, you know. We've, we've heard how bad we are, you know? Especially from preacher types. Especially if there are any kind of fundamental preacher types. You, you know how bad you are. But 
So, but we have to be convicted of those things. But, but like the, the description Jesus gives of the unclean spirit leaving the house, being swept clean. You know the, the story? Where he says, you know, that, that when the spirit leaves and the house is swept clean, everything's put in order, and then the spirit, that spirit wanders around for a while and it comes back and it finds everything swept clean and, this, and it is that unclean spirit gathers a bunch of even more unclean, more evil spirits, and they come and they take up residence in that nice clean spot. You can get rid of all that list of all those evil things, and we all try at some point to do that. But if we don't replace it with, some, with righteousness, it's futile. It's worthless. All the cleaning up we do because it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because we don't have any, any means of cleaning that up. But that's the beauty of what God does in Christ. Is He not only takes away that sin, but He gives us new righteousness. And this is the good part. The putting on of the new self, the new clothes. You know, it's funny. I never meet anybody who doesn't want to straighten things out a little bit in their life. Now, I'm not saying they want to become really good. You know, there's some people who seem to glory in their evil. But even those who seem to glory in their evil seem to have something they want to fix in their life. And, uh, but that's why I like this. We, have, we know what to do. We can put on the new clothes. But it's something we do. He says, put it on. Put those things on. Um, we have to... I'm sorry. Uh, when, when Paul says to put on hearts of compassion... When he says to put on hearts of compassion, he is making it clear that we need to begin with begin our change with our concern for others. Isn't that interesting? He starts out, put on hearts of compassion. And that's towards other people, is it not? And I, I'm, I'm forever amazed at how little people listen to each other. Aren't you? You're saying, what did you say? We don't listen to each other very well. I... I yeah, but if I, I show no compassion until I have listened to you. I mean, that is really heard what you have to say. Now, I can listen. You know, husbands, we know about this, right? It's like, you know, we'll be doing our own thing. Uh, parents, you, you've heard this from your teenagers. Anybody had teenagers yet? You know, if you've got teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. You know, they're doing something. They're busy. And you say, well, you're not listening to me. And then they quote word for word everything you just said, right? But the truth is, you were right. They were not listening to you. They heard, and it went out the other ear, but they did know how to quote it back to you. And uh, as a good husband, I've learned to do some of those things. Oh, yes, dear, I was listening. And I can decode some things and kind of fill in the gaps, right? Uh, she's not going to say yes or no. Um, she's a good wife. She's a good wife. I love her. There's, that's one of the many reasons I love her. Um, but... Uh, but I have not shown compassion to you until I've listened to you. And when I can, can feel with you, when I join you in your need, I am internally connecting with your hurt or concern. This word, by the way, compassion, it's kind of like that, you know, Mike, you know the, the, the Greek there, but um, it's a weird word. It's blank thos or something like that. It's really a, you know, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nasty sounding word, but it's about your innards, you know, it's your guts, and you know how your bowels, it's, it's, it's a... It could be translated heart, but it's rarely. But, you know, it's that idea, you know, I, everything in me churns. I feel kind of almost ill along with you as you suffer, as you have a concern. And that's what he's saying. If you, you need to have this kind of heart of compassion where everything just churns for that other person. Now, I've met people who've, 
who really do have that kind of compassion, it's kind of scary because they feel so much for other people. Um, that's compassion. Uh, kindness, on the other hand, is, 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 is something we talk about a lot lately. Kindness, by the way, is more than smiling at the cashier. Now, that'd be a good place to start, you know? If any of you here been a cashier sometimes, you would really like it if the customer would at least smile at you, you know? By the way, if you are a cashier, it works the other way, too. Um, it, it's nice to smile at that other person. At least that's the way. But that's not what this is all talking about. It's not a bad thing, but that's not the whole picture. Now, I'm a little bit troubled by our efforts. Now, this, this is going to step on our own toes for a moment. I'm a little troubled by our efforts to do acts of kindness. Mike, you know what I'm talking about. You know what we're talking about, right? I'm talking about my, my, my elder buddies here. You know, we talk about we're going to go out and for two hours, seven to nine, we're going to do acts of kindness. Wait a minute. So we're going to do acts of kindness, two hours, and then what do we do with 22 other hours? Become self-absorbed? Sounding like a preacher right there. Almost yelling at myself. I wish I wouldn't do that. But I get emotional about these things. Folks, we're to be 24 hours a day doing acts of kindness because the Scripture says, put on kindness. That should be our lifestyle. At the risk of sounding ridiculous, it's more than handing us a wad of quarters out at the laundromat. It may be every time I go to a laundromat that I help somebody out with a wad of quarters. There's nothing wrong with that. That is an act of kindness. But how much, how much many times do we kind of do things without, that are, because we're not clothed with kindness, we do unkind things? Anyway. Live a life that centers on being good to those around you. Make that your pattern. This includes, by the way, benevolence. There's nothing wrong with benevolence, but that shouldn't be the only picture. But it is a part of it. We, we, we are to put on an attitude of humility. What did I say earlier? It was false humility? Yeah, I did, didn't I? Um, th that is, we, we are to consider others more important than ourselves. Philippians. We are to, to um, not, not to think more highly of ourselves than we are. Romans. I could go on. I, I started to. I mean, I started kind of listing. All, I, went, I started going through the New Testament. All the books. Almost, I, I didn't go through all of them because I got you know, like tired of it. But every time I got to another book, I found another passage that talked about humility and the importance of humility. It is permeated with humility. And what do we have so much trouble with? Being humble. Maybe that's why. There's definitely a strong push for humility. Now, I, I like the next word. It, it's, it's gentleness. Now, I, I don't like the word because of gentleness sounds good. I, I like gentleness because of, of the meaning of the word. This is not that, <laughs> you know, you know how we picture gentleness. It's that soft kind of limp hand. You know, give me a handshake. And, you know, kind of like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing well. Thank you. You know, I mean, like... Don't do that to me, you know. And, but sometimes we think of gentleness as being that limp hand, you know. And, uh, and, and the guy that's a little bit effeminate, you know. I mean, that's, what, that's not what that word means. 
That word means really the firm handshake. You know, the muscle man, the guy that could crush your hand. With you. I've met that guy too. You know, I'm like, ah, pain. And, you know, it's that guy who can handle that, that kind of handshake but doesn't. Doesn't break the bones in my hand. That is what gentleness is all about. It's, it's, it's that control. It's, it's that confident grasp that you can, you can in, in that sense. But when you become aware of your rights, but refuse to demand them, that's gentleness. When you have full control of your emotions as you put people on the right course, you're being gentle. <laughs> Wow, that tests me sometimes. <laughs> Straighten up! You know. That's not gentle. Got it? I've been accused of yelling before when I preach. I'm not really. Um, when your confidence has reached such uh, maturity that you, that you can help someone turn from their sin without harming their spirit, you're being gentle. Let me correct you gently. Um, <laughs> I've been told you never mess with the sound guy. They will get you. <laughs> when you would rather suffer personal injury than to inflict injury on another, you're being gentle. I like that word. I think it has a lot to say how to walk through our lives as Christians. We, we often hear people say, I am not going to pray for patience. <laughs> Have you ever said that? Uh, don't pray. Be careful what you pray for because, you know, <laughs> you just might get it, right? And, uh, and the idea is I'm not going to pray for patience because um, God's going to put me through some pretty tough situations to get me there, right? But let me announce to you today, pray for patience. It's here, so pray for it. It's important. That's a part of that being set apart for God. It's part of putting that new clothing on. Uh, it, 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 I, I like this description of patience. Exhibiting internal and external control in difficult circumstances. Right? By the way, have you ever had difficult circumstances? <laughs> you know, as chaplains, we always say that people are either... Uh, coming out of a problem, they're going into a problem, or they're in the middle of a problem. You know, uh, that's really kind of a pessimistic way of looking at life, but there's a lot of truth to it. Um, you might recall that it was that, that this word patience was linked uh, with power in Colossians 1:11. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? You see, Jeremiah and Hosea are prime examples of the strength of patience uh, uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, you remember Jeremiah, of course. He's the one that was kind of like locked up in the stocks on the, on, on the uh, plaza and, and they were throwing things at him, spitting at him and hauling off and hitting him and he had to just take it and continue to prophesy what God had told him to do. Man, I, I just don't want to be a Jeremiah. I, I'm sorry. It just doesn't sound... How about Hosea? Hosea is not exactly anything uh, better, you know. I mean, he was told, oh, by the way, go back and uh, get your wife back who decided to go off and be a harlot, a prostitute. You know, I, you know I'm not too into that. But jo Hosea expressed great patience as he continued to... Why? Because God 
is patient with us. Right? So Jeremiah had to be patient. Hosea had to be patient. You and I need to be patient. Um, they, they demonstrated the capacity to bear injustice and injury without exercising revenge. Wow. Uh, th those who put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience show themselves to be God's chosen people. If somebody to, declares to me that they are chosen by God, I would say, if they're living a life that doesn't match this, I'd question it. Excuse me, but I'd question This is a part. This is, what, this is the whole point of choice, being chosen. Verse 13 applies these traits to real life in the body of Christ. And I like that. He said, this is, this is possible only through the power and example of Jesus Christ. I find it instructive that Paul focused on the individual. But what individual? The individual who is to have these qualities rather than the people who cause the problems. Now, if I were God, I'm not. But if I were God, I would be addressing the people who are messing everybody else's life up. You know? Stop being a pain in the neck so they don't have to be patient. But God has a different plan because it's you and I who need to have these qualities. Uh, Paul adds one last article of clothing, by the way. Maybe as a continuation of these thoughts, but I, I tend to think that it, as a recognition that we need something more to live out the expectations he just laid out for us. I need something more. Give me something that will give me power to do this. What does he say? That last piece of clothes is, 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 uh, is described. He says, above all these characteristics, above them all, put on love. You see, love kind of binds these virtues together. It makes them work. <laughs> if I don't love, I can be as patient as I, as I can eke out, but it's really going it, it, to snap at some point. I'm not going to be kind all the time if I don't love my fellow man. I have to have love. Love, love holds it all together. Love binds the people of God in local community. I mean, how do we get along with each other? We have to love each other. It, it holds us together. It motivates their commitment to pay the price of giving up their rights. Now, God's purpose is seen in the words and actions reflecting the name of Jesus Christ. I love this part. As we get down to the last part, Paul brings this section to a close in the last three verses, 15 through 17. And uh, when he says to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He, he is referring to it acting as an umpire or judge, a referee. Let it rule. Let it have the, the authority over your life. Check your life. The, now, peace is often misconstrued. You understand that, right? We always say, do you have a peace about that? You've got to say it a little holier than that. You've got do you have a peace about that? If I have a peace about that, it must be right. Bull. <laughs> okay? It just isn't so. 
Um, and that's not what this is saying. You know, we, we like to think of peace as the path of least resistance, right? Like, I've got peace because I'm not finding anybody bumping into me along the way. That could be just because the hour you're driving is on the wrong way, on, the, on a one-way street, is because nobody's up yet. You're still going the wrong way. What is it that, that he's talking about? You see, we know that that kind of peace would contradict what he just said. Because I have no peace when you're giving me trouble. I don't know why I keep looking at you, Paul, whenever I say that, but it's just like you're there, okay? <laughs> it has nothing to do with you, and you know that. Um, instead, peace is actually a corporate peace. And it is centered in Christ and His purpose. I'll talk about that in a moment, but... It also interests me that the thankfulness begun in verse 15 is built on peace is further entrenched through the thankfulness of verse 16 built on the word of Christ. And wisdom comes out of knowing all Christ taught. We, we exercise this wisdom as we teach proper behavior and belief. Now, I'm not talking about all the music, by the way. That's where the teaching goes on, but you guys know that. You love worship. You love singing. So I, I, I only apologize because I'm keeping the time right. Um, but the, but that, I would love to talk more about that part. But we, we also exercise wisdom as we admonish, rebuke, correct others in the body, particularly regarding wrong, completed or contemplated, practical or moral. Wisdom is to bring us together and, and get these things corrected. And in, and in case you've missed it, by the way, Paul drives this point home in verse 17. He says, whatever you do, it doesn't matter what time of day or night or day of the week. Whatever you do, you are to do it for His name's sake. Whatever you do, you are to do it... I'm sorry, I already said that. For His name's sake. Whatever you do in word, that is speaking, writing, listening. Those are all word things, right? Whatever you do in word... Do it for Him. Do it for Him. Judge your conversation and your entertainment by its impact uh, for the glory of Christ. Okay, disclaimer here. In case some of you go off and try to misquote me somehow on this. I am not saying that whatever you do in your words, and in your entertainment has to be Christian music, Christian books, Christian movies, Christian Game Boys. Game Boys, where'd that come from? Christian computer games. I, where did that come from? Where did that come from? <laughs> I never even played those things, you know? <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Teach you to walk a distance from your notes and not think about things, you know. 
Yeah, but you'll, you'll remember it, won't you? You will remember it because Bissell said Game Boy, and you're like, and those of you who are younger don't know what the heck I'm talking about. That's okay. Um, and my kids did have them, so you'll understand that. But why did I say that? You, but whatever you're watching, whatever you're listening to, has an impact. And if that impact is bringing you farther away from God, you got a problem. And whatever you're saying, if what you're saying has an impact on the guy over there that's pushing him further away from God, you have a problem. And if what I'm watching or what I'm listening to or what I'm reading has a negative impact on anybody's relationship with God. I need to rethink that. Some Christian music, by the way, would, to me, have a negative impact. So that's, you know, uh, it's not all. By the way, there's no such thing as Christian music because I've never heard a song that repented, accepted Jesus, and was saved, okay? So I, that was free, but just I want you to know that. So... Whatever you do, whatever you do indeed, that is your work, actions, or behavior, do it for Him. Oh. By the way, just continue my disclaimer, that does not mean you go into the ministry, get, a, get a, 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 your own pulpit, and preach all the time, okay? Yeah, but it, whatever you do, do it for Him. Do not think for one minute that God is not concerned with your job. God is concerned with your job. In fact, that's what this is all about. This word speaks first and foremost to your employment. You have a job? How are you doing it? Are you doing it for the glory of God? If you're not doing your job for the glory of God, then you're not fulfilling this passage. We do our best in our job. For the glory of God. I don't work for a boss. My wife gave me, when I first worked for Texas Instruments, a long time ago, um, they, I, I sat there and I had on my, on my bulletin board this verse and another verse that talked about doing everything. Do your work heartily as the Lord rather than the men. That was the other one. And every day I'd walk in, I'd look up that little, little card posted to my, my bulletin board to remind me that what I was doing was not for anybody at Texas Instruments. It was for God. And boy, I was going to do my best if it's for God. That really makes a difference. By the way, if you're a student, same thing holds true. We, we go to school, we, or we study, or we do homeschool. I don't know what you, what, what you do. Or, you know, even if you're in college, what are you doing? You do your work, you do your study, you do your efforts, all for the glory of God. And in case you feel like I'm just a mean old guy, a mean old codger who likes to talk about doing hard stuff, if you're on the soccer team, boy, Play soccer for the glory of God. Play like you're going for the World Cup. You know? Why not? Now, it doesn't mean that you are the best, okay? I mean, I will never be a great soccer player. Never. You know? In fact, I'll never play it. Probably that's a good idea. But, um, but you know, I'll never be a great runner. I mean, I know how fast I can run. And I'll run. And I run to the glory of God. And the minute I'm running to the glory of Tim, I've blown it, haven't I? I've blown it. You see, I, I, I like to run. 
But if, if it's for me, oh. Now you guys are stuck. If it's for me, it's, it's not for the glory of God, and I've got to re- readjust that, that decision. It was about 8 to 5, right? And the other half of that, 5 to 8 the next morning. Sadly, we, we have tended to separate the secular and the spiritual. Watching a comedy show, we say, that's secular. And we respond and choose according to what pleases us. I think that's funny. No, I don't think that's funny. That's funny. It's dirty, but it's funny. So it's okay, right? I mean, it's just entertainment. No. Okay, just in case you're wondering. I don't agree with that. But we say that's secular. We, we forget whatever in word portion of this instruction. Every word heard or spoken is spiritual and has spiritual impact. Every word. Selecting a job and performing on that job is considered secular, right? Folks, there is no such thing as selecting a job in a secular terms. It's spiritual. Because life for a believer is spiritual. Everything. In case you're missing that point, all of it. Right? Now we do that job for a paycheck. But our tendency is that 10% of that is spiritual, but 90% is not. It's mine. It's secular. <laughs> By the way, some of you don't realize that 10% is what the tithe means. Tithe is 10%. But anyway, the rest is secular. No, it's not. That's not the New Testament view. By the way, all of it is spiritual. All of it belongs to God. Because you belong to God. So everything you do belongs to God. Now, he lets you use some of that for things you like to do. Thank thank you, Lord. I appreciate that. But we don't have that right. He gives it to us. This passage, by the way, the passage next week, and I'm not going to go into this too much longer, but the passage for next week addresses other areas of life we tend to see as more secular than spiritual. Think about that. Go from it. Read, read on. It's a good idea to read ahead because we obviously are going through the scripture pretty much in order. It's a good thing to read ahead. They can ask us questions and, and challenge us on whatever we're saying up here. Uh, now, one com- commentator pointed out um, if believers are to be transformed into the character of Christ, the word of Christ should find a home in our hearts. It should not come and go show up occasionally, or be something we visit like a vacation spot. <laughs> I like his term. By the way, I'm not necessarily crazy about the guy who said it, but he translated this phrase, and that's why I'm going to avoid saying it to some of you guys, like, oh, he's a heretic. Don't worry about it. He's right on this point. Let the word of Christ, the message that he sent, have the run of the house, give it plenty of room in your lives. See, he should have full reign over everything we do, over all who we are. Now, in deciding what to do as individuals, I have to have a recommendation to make. We are a church, right? Am I right? Just checking. Are you still there? Just making sure. Um, We're a church, and we make decisions. We should ask two questions as we make decisions. 
One of those is, is the peace of Christ present in the congregation on this point? Are we at peace with it as a body of Christ? The second question, is this consistent with and will it promote knowledge of the word of Christ? If we can take those two, point, two questions with us home, say it again. Is the peace of Christ present in the congregation at this point? And second, is it this consistent with and will it promote the knowledge of the word of Christ? Those would be good questions to ask about all decisions you make. I think it's significant that this passage relates to how man gets along with man so much. And yet all of it, because of how we get along with one another, why does Jesus say, they'll know we're Christians by our love.